Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. And I'm Rachel Scott, ABC's congressional correspondent. And Rachel, welcome to our program. Congratulations on the new job, on the new title. Well deserved. Very excited to see your reporting on Capitol Hill and beyond after a a pretty wild uh, stint at the White House um, and on the Trump campaign. Uh, John Carl, despite having a birthday just yesterday for the inaugural, uh, has uh, phoned in, I won't say sick, I'll say he phoned in busy because he's got a lot on his plate, as we all do <laughs> on this uh, on this inauguration day. And, and Rachel, it's it, it's just the kind of day, I can't even imagine the whirlwind that you've been on uh, the last couple of weeks and indeed the last couple of years. You were one of our original reporters on the, the Trump reelect uh, campaign beat, um, going back to you know some, some undetermined time in 2019. I don't know how many rallies you were at, and then all the way through the, the the events at the Capitol a couple of weeks. What's where wh- where do you see things in, through that lens? I mean, what what do we sh- what should we be looking for with this the final day of the of the Trump presidency and and the first day of the Biden presidency? Uh, you know, Rick, I really think it's going to be something like we have never seen before, and I think that you know sums up a lot of what we have seen from this president over the course of the last four years. So much of it has just been unpredictable, and now the fact that you have this ina- you have this inauguration, uh, there's going to be no cheering crowds. Actually, President Trump is going to be the outgoing president. And for the first time in more than 150 years, he won't even be attending. Uh, He's planning on leaving Washington before Biden even takes the oath of office. And we know that he wants this sort of grand departure, uh, military ban waiting for him, a red carpet waiting. And then, of course, now you have the president-elect Joe Biden coming in at a time where this nation is extremely divided, where a pandemic is still raging across our country. And he's going to have to figure out a way to not only get lawmakers to agree and on the same side, but a way to unite the country and sort of heal the nation. Yeah, it's a, it's pretty it's pretty wild to think about how many challenges Biden will be facing uh, and, and how much uh, and how much he's inheriting from President Trump in terms of Trump's actions as well as his inactions. I, I, Rachel, you were out there uh, just two weeks ago when that assault on the Capitol took place, and now today you're you're going to be out there again. What are you looking for? What do you feel? It's just going to be such a different scene all around. I can't even imagine how different it will look and feel than it did just two weeks ago. It's going to be so different. And I've been back on the Capitol grounds since that deadly riot. And it's quite honestly, really an eerie feeling walking around. I was just there and looking up and asking, what street corner am I on? You cannot pass a street corner without seeing armed National Guards. Uh, You have these seven foot tall fences surrounding the entire Capitol grounds with barbed wire now at the top. It is just striking. It's a striking image uh, to see just here on the day of the inauguration. And so, of course, you have all these heightened concerns now after that deadly riot, after we saw thousands of people storm the U.S. Capitol from all sides. I was out there that day when things took that turn and just the fallout of it, the gravity President Trump becoming the first president in United States history to be impeached for a second time. Now Biden's going to take the oath of office. And then in just a matter of days, we could have an impeachment trial starting during his first 100 days of presidency. I mean, it's just something that we have just never seen before. Yeah. And later in the program, we're going to get some historical perspective from Steve Roberts, our, our good friend, um, eminent historian and author and an ABC News contributor talking about what how unusual the, the circumstances all are all around. But, but Rachel, I feel like a, 
almost lost in all of this is the fact that there's a new president and vice president taking the oath of office today. You'll have Joe Biden making history as the oldest president ever inaugurated, and you'll have Kamala Harris making, making history as the first woman and the first woman of color uh, to, to take uh, to, to a national position as either president or, or vice president. And, and it seems like, Rachel, from what we've been able to report out, the, the Biden-Harris team is going to hit the ground running and then some. I mean, they're talking about a really ambitious agenda. It's not just about a speech today uh, or about you know a couple of a couple of bills being filed they've got a lot on their plates that's going to land uh, pretty fast uh, all, all across all across Washington yeah and they're making it very clear that they really do want to hit the ground running we already have heard from Biden's chief of staff about the executive actions that he plans to take on day one and the series of executive actions to follow during his first 10 days of, of presidency I mean this is just going to be a seismic shift in American politics. On day one, Biden wants to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. He wants to repeal that travel ban on predominantly uh, Muslim countries. I mean, this is just going to be drastically different. And so much of what Biden is going to be focused on in his first 100 days is actually undoing what President Trump did during his administration. Uh, but there's only so much that he's going to be able to do on his own. And that is what is going to pose a significant challenge in getting lawmakers, especially their in the Senate to focus on not only passing his agenda, but also focus on that impeachment trial. And then not to mention the Senate is just particularly interesting because you have this 50-50 split now and you're going to have Kamala Harris come in and be this, this tie-breaking vote, uh, something that has only happened three times before in our nation's history. Uh, again, I just we really just have never seen really anything like this play out before all at the same time. Uh, it, it's truly unique. And Rachel, one thing I'll add, you know, based on people I've been talking to on Capitol Hill uh, and in the Democratic consulting community, you know, there's a lot of support and goodwill in the Democratic Party toward, toward Joe Biden. And there's a lot of excitement about him taking office. But there's also some trepidation about you know, how, how much of a mandate he's going to be able to claim. Uh, he, a lot of the actions that he's planning on doing right away are not just COVID related. Even that $2 trillion package of COVID relief does a lot more in there, like raising the minimum wage, for instance. A lot of progressive priorities that are part of this. We talk about um, you know, movement on the Keystone Pipeline and ANWR. I mean, these are, these are hot button environmental issues. Uh, all of them, to my mind, reflect some kind of a campaign commitment. But the, the speed with which he's planning to act on some things, you know, rejoining the, the WHO, rejoining the Paris Climate Accords, doing the mask mandate, um, putting in new executive orders on, on racial equality, on the census, on gender equality, an immigration bill that uh, includes a pathway to citizenship. These are big, bold items that uh, may or may not go down well with the broader American public that, you know, right now, let's be honest, we know that this this, this president is likely to be judged on, on how well he handles the pandemic. They're trying to get a lot done uh, on a range of areas pretty quickly. Yeah, it's a really massive, it's a big agenda, and it's going to be a really tall order for the Biden administration and also for lawmakers that he's going to have to try and get on the same page and progressives in the party as well uh, to back uh, his agenda and, and, and things that he wants to move forward with. So it, it remains to be seen how lawmakers, how the Biden administration plans to juggle all of this. Biden has been pretty clear that if there is an impeachment trial in his first 100 days, he's expecting lawmakers 
to multitask. He's even suggesting that they could split the day, half of it focused on confirming uh, his nominees, his cabinet secretaries. That's also happening right now. Uh, and the other half uh, sort of focused on getting through his agenda. But it's going to be a very, very uh, tall task, Rick. Yeah, and it's going to be uh, quite a time for you to be up there on Capitol Hill, one of the great beats in Washington. Uh, I can't wait to see what what you've got. Uh, and, and Rachel, I'm just wondering if there's if there, if there's any thoughts that you could share about covering as many Trump rallies as you did during this re-election mm. and then all the way through that event uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. I have to imagine there were some similarities in terms of the signage and maybe even the costumes you saw from folks, but obviously a much different outcome than anyone thought uh, in terms of what, what might be the last major political rally Donald Trump has. Certainly was the last one he had as president. Um, we'll have to see what he does in the future, but uh, it was uh, quite a bookend for you. It really was. And so much of that day really did feel like a Trump rally. I was watching people, uh, watching the president on their cell phones. Um, they brought boom boxes, listening to his speech. And then you just saw that sea of thousands of people marching towards the United States Capitol. And then, of course, what happened next? I don't think any of us uh, truly e expected um, but for me on this inauguration day, I will be thinking about that striking image of what I saw play out there on the same Capitol steps that Joe Biden will be taking the oath of office, where we will have the nation's first woman, the nation's first black and Asian American woman sworn in as vice president, something that hasn't happened in more than two centuries, on the same grounds where there was a noose. Um, hanging um, on the Capitol grounds, on the same on the same grounds where there were racial slurs uh, thrown and tossed around uh, just two weeks prior, um, that is just going to be such a stark and striking contrast. And I also think that you're right, Rick, that this moment of of of, of history of where Kamala Harris, the vice president elect, is stepping in, where no woman no woman of color has ever stood before. This is monumental. And politics aside, this is a really big moment for women, for people of color in this country who have waited more than two centuries to see someone who looks like them represented on a national stage. And she'll be bringing her blended family with her. We'll have the nation's first second gentleman. Uh, she's a stepmother herself. And so I think a lot of Americans are going to be looking up and they're going to see themselves represented now on the national stage. But again, it is just going to be such a striking uh, difference to what we just saw play out there just two weeks ago. What a moment. What a moment for the history books. And just uh, let me just say on a personal note, Rachel, I couldn't be happy for you for this assignment. I think it's terrific. It's so well deserved. You're going to be great. The Hill is fun. And uh, I'm just I'm excited to see you thrive and bring some great reporting to the, the viewers and listeners at ABC News. Well, thanks, Rick. And I have you to thank for these awesome assignments of covering the Democratic primary and Trump, sometimes often in the same week. And um, that was my first time ever saying my new title out loud. And it felt kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, we're going to get used to it. We're all going to get used to it. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, and thank you, Rachel. When we come back, uh, I'm going to check in with Steve Roberts, ABC News contributor and historian. And we're pleased to welcome here on the Powerhouse Politics Podcast, ABC News political analyst, the veteran journalist and historian, author Steve Roberts. Mr. Roberts, welcome. Yeah, these are just all euphemisms for old, but I'm happy to be with you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, let's 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 go let's go old school and and try to bring some perspective to 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 this moment because I, I feel like this is uh, this has been a presidency filled with superlatives, firsts, never befores. Um, just just in the last week, knowing about a second impeachment, uh, and here we are on transition day. Uh, these are traditionally days of celebration, uh, days of. Uh, of hope, of optimism, uh, maybe of sadness on the, the part of, a, of an outgoing president, uh, an outgoing administration. What do you make of this day? What what will we be saying looking back on this pivot point in history? Uh, this this day that uh, that the, the the transfer of power is happening from Trump to Biden. It's a day of conflicts, Rick. Uh, in some ways, Joe Biden's uh, inaugural address. Uh, will hit many of the notes we've come to expect historically. Um, he will talk about unity. He'll talk about national healing. He'll talk about finding common ground and common purpose. He'll talk about people being Americans and not just Republicans and Democrats. We could write the speech now. Um, and we and that is uh, who Biden is. That's who Biden has always been in his political life. Six terms in the Senate, four, uh, uh, eight years as vice president, and he's always stood for those ideals. But um, at the same time, um, what's different about today from other events, which have all had a sense of unity, a sense of, of, of common themes of, of the outgoing president um, uh, wishing well uh, the newcomer and all of the um, moments these optics were used to of the outgoing and new president riding together up to the Capitol and, and the old president um, uh, uh, sitting there and watching and, and in a sense blessing the transition. That's what's going to be different today. Um, the sense of polarization in the country fomented largely by, by Donald Trump down to the very last minute, refusing to go to the inaugural, refusing to invite um, the Bidens to the White House, refusing to um, uh, participate in these rituals that have uh, cemented and symbolized a sense of national unity so that's why today is different. There's a, there are clashing symbols, clashing ideas um, that is, is not generally and has not historically been in all of the many inaugurations that I've been to um, since 1964. This is the first time when that, that strong, powerful sense of national unity has been disrupted uh, by the actions of the outgoing president. What are we missing by not having that moment, particularly in light of the events of the last last two weeks? Uh, you know, I've, I'm firmly of the view, Steve, that what happened two weeks ago was, you know, utterly outrageous and un-American and and awful. Also, though, not in the bigger context, uh, uh, particularly shocking given the the rhetoric, uh, not just of that day, but of the last couple of years, the weaponized uh, weaponizing of, of false information, ultimately what's being referred to as the big lie about this election. But there is still a possibility that you'd have the, the outgoing president uh, sharing that car ride. What's missing to your mind to, to know that we're not going to see the the, the handover in that way? Well, it's a symbolism of a much deeper problem that's been building for many years, Rick. 
I mean, this president has, uh, for his entire presidency, really going back to before he ran for president, when he emerged into public life, telling the big lie about Obama uh, not being a, a citizen and, and not uh, having been born in America. Um, and it's a uh, it's a, been a presidency based on lies or alternative facts, as uh, Kellyanne Conway famously put it. Um, and so... This moment is really just a culmination of a, a long history uh, of misinformation, including the profound mishandling of the corona pandemic over the last year that has cost America so many thousands of lives. And um, if you look at our latest ABC poll, you can see the evidence of that, Rick. 32% of Americans in our poll, including 7 of 10 Republicans, say that Joe Biden is not a legitimate president, um, that he was not elected fairly. Now, it's one thing to be disappointed in an election. It's one thing even to be angry in an election. But to view the new president as not legitimate, as having stolen the election, that's a whole different level of anger and suspicion and resentment. And um, that's the importance of, of, of what's happened here. This is is not just about optics and symbolism. Those optics reflect a, a profound a rift in this country as a result of the way of President Trump, and by the way, it hasn't just been Trump because it's been echoed by Republicans on Capitol Hill. Let's remember 147 Republicans in the House and the Senate voted on the day of the insurrection to overturn the results of the election. Let's remember that countless uh, uh, media outlets, starting with Fox News, but certainly not ending with them, with Rush Limbaugh and conservative talk radio and, 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 and websites around the country have continued to echo Donald Trump. So it, 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 Trump is only the beginning of the problem, but not the end of it. And the bottom line is today, as, as, as this new president has sworn in fully one third of Americans, We'll look at that TV, listen to this on the radio, and say Joe Biden's not legitimate. I don't ever remember, in my experience, and it goes back well over 50 years as a political reporter, of having an inauguration where such a sizable percentage of Americans had such a profound resentment and uh, such a profound uh, sense of, of anger at the new president that's being sworn in. Yeah, and one one nugget in that poll that blew me away, Steve, was that 18% of Trump supporters in our in our poll said that they believe the actions of the Capitol a couple weeks ago were justified. That is, one in five Trump supporters say that it was okay what happened. I mean, that's even Trump has has distanced himself from from what happened. And, and you know, I I've I've spent a lot of time reading and refreshing my memory about these wild last four years. And frankly, you know, some some of them have slipped from my memory, but you know, the, you look at things like the the Russia investigation, the, the Kim Jong-un summits, the, the relationship with Putin, firing of James Comey, the Mueller report, uh, the relationship with his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, Charlottesville, and ultimately COVID and this assault on the Capitol from two weeks ago. How, how can how can one begin to make sense of of the breadth of the of the Trump legacy? It has been a consequential four years, no doubt. But what's the what are the takeaways in your mind that you think will will be remembered for historians? Well, I, I in all, to be fair to Donald Trump, uh, even though he did not keep 
many of his promises to the American public, including returning jobs from uh, from abroad, which was always a lie because those jobs were sent abroad not by American policy but by technology, and they were never coming back. But one of the promises he did make, and he did keep, was to uh, uh, populate the federal judiciary uh, with conservative judges. And he named well over 200, including three on the Supreme Court. And one of the legacies of the Trump administration is going to be felt for decades, generations from now, Rick. People who were appointed by Donald Trump are going to be on the federal bench. And that certainly has to be part of the legacy. And frankly, that's one of the reasons why a lot of Republicans on Capitol Hill swallowed hard and accepted Trumpism, even though they knew in their hearts that this was a profoundly um, uh, disruptive and, and, and uh, uh, unqualified man to be president. But he did keep that one promise. But the other legacy that um, uh, on the negative side that I think is, is, is deeply profound is the war on facts, the war on truth. Um, uh, and that's why, uh, and that's reflected in, in those uh, uh, polling numbers where one third of Americans um, don't believe the election was fair. Um, and it's a much broader problem than just disinformation about the election. It's a much broader problem than disinformation about COVID. Because as you imply, this has been a consistent policy to undermine independent sources of information, including many in his own administration. T talk about intelligence researchers, just to take one example, who concluded without any doubt at all about the, the major effort by Russia to meddle in the 2016 election. Trump just rejected it. Take all of the scientists in the government who have talked about climate change. Trump has just rejected it. Take all of the economists who said that his tax cut, uh, uh, massive tax cuts would uh, balloon the federal deficit, which is exactly what has happened, and he rejected it. And so um, uh, what, we're, what we're dealing with here, looking forward, and, 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 and what is going to be such a problem for the Biden administration is that there's no longer this common understanding of what the basic facts are uh, about these national problems we're facing, and no common understanding about who the authorities are that can provide those facts. And his attacks on the news media as the enemy of the people and as fake news is only a part, and in some ways a relatively small part, of a much larger attempt to delegitimize and undermine independent sources of information that contradict his view of the world. And that's going to, that is a profound legacy going forward, and one that's going to be very difficult to, uh, to reverse. And Steve, let's talk about Joe Biden. Uh, his huge, huge legacy that predates this. I mean, the, the man was was first elected uh, the same time Richard Nixon was reelected, and he's seen it all before, and he has been through an awful lot of American history. He's a creature of the Senate, a creature of Washington. He understands, I have to think almost uniquely, uh, what the depth of the, the challenges that face American society are, and yet, and yet, even over his long career, it's hard to imagine that he could have envisioned the challenges ahead. How does Biden 
handle this in the midst of a pandemic with so much of the country rejecting his leadership, with Donald Trump now set to capture some portion of the attention in the early days of the Biden administration with, with the impeachment trial that we're expecting? What what does Biden have to do? What can Biden do to break through? Well, it's a very good question. And of course, it's going to be very difficult. Um, look, let's be honest about Joe Biden. Um, he's not president because he created some groundswell of popular enthusiasm and excitement. Um, he is president largely because uh, a certain number of Americans, including a number who voted for Donald Trump four years ago, just got fed up with Donald Trump and disillusioned with Donald Trump. And it was not because they loved Joe Biden. Um, uh, but Joe Biden, and, and let's remember also, he the first two times he ran for president, he was a miserable failure as a presidential candidate. But it's possible, Rick, that Joe Biden is the person to meet this moment because he radiates a sense of calm, a sense of stability, uh, a sense of reasonableness. We're not talking about excitement. Uh, later today, when um, Biden takes the platform, we're, we're not going to hear uh, uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, a ringing call of inspiration, words that are going to be heard a half century from now. That's not Joe Biden. But what Joe Biden can deliver is, is a sense of, of calmness and, and uh, steadfastness and purpose. Um, and he is not going to pull in or change the minds of the hardcore Trump supporters. But he doesn't have to. What he does have to do is appeal that's it's roughly, I think, about 10 to 15 percent of the electorate. If you, if you notice, um, Rick, uh, Trump got almost 47 percent of the vote in the election. But um, his average uh, favorable rating today is down to 38 percent. That's about one out of five Trump voters are, have uh, uh, already uh, become a bit disillusioned. And, and that's the group that is winnable. That's the group that helped elect Joe Biden. That's the group that, can, that is, is, is going to be open, I think, to his appeals for, for more bipartisan cooperation, more reasonableness, more, a more pragmatic approach to government. He is not going to convert the hardcore Trump base. But if he can reach into that group, 10 to 15 percent on the margins, um, that also is going to help sway um, some of the Republicans on Capitol Hill um, who have been petrified of retaliation uh, by Trump and, and Trump supporters into thinking, well, maybe there's another way to do this. I, I'm not optimistic about this, um, Rick, because um, uh, the, the depth of resentment of Biden, as I said, one third of people not thinking he's legitimate, but there's at least a possibility that he can move the dial enough so that there is a, a, a reality-based coalition. We're not talking, as I say, about, about some, some great vision of the future or some inspiring set of slogans. We're simply talking about reality. Let's deal with the real problems facing America. Let's figure out how to really deal with COVID. Let's figure it out really to deal with the economic impact of this pandemic on small businesses and workers around the country. Let's really try to figure out how we can refurbish some of our relationships abroad with traditional allies that have been shredded. Let's really take a hard look at, at uh, the 11 million undocumented immigrants and what we can do to uh, bring them into American society. It, 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 if it's a reality-based message, 
that uh, is rooted in, in a sensible, sane, practical approach to problems, I think he has the possibility of creating a governing coalition that can um, move forward on some of these issues, but it's going to be very difficult, but it's at least plausible and possible. And Steve Roberts, before I let you go, I, I want to mark this moment by talking uh, talking for a second about Koki. Uh, I, I miss her all the time. I know that you do. And moments like this makes her loss so much harder for me because I know in my career at ABC News how, how much I relied on her voice. And I think our viewers and our listeners relied on her voice to, to guide us through these times. I know you're, you're writing an, another book of, uh, about your, your late wife. Uh, what thoughts do you have about how Koki would be processing this moment, uh, what she would think about where we stand today? It's a good question, Rick. You know, Koki grew up as a creature of Congress. Both of her parents were members of Congress, not at the same time, one after another. They served for almost a combined total of 50 years in the U.S. Congresses. I've often said we don't believe in term limits in our family. Um, you know, her seventh birthday party was in the Capitol. She grew up um, when she was in high school. Uh, uh, her dad would let her know when there was a big debate and she would he would let her take off from school and, and go down to the Capitol and sit in the gallery and, and, and listen to these debates. And uh, as she said, uh, you know, I knew a lot of people on Capitol Hill in low places, um, meaning the, the doorkeepers and the, and the waiters at the house restaurant who were sources of enormous information for her when she was uh, a reporter for NPR and then, and, and then for ABC. But, but, the bottom line here was she deeply loved the Capitol and she deeply loved the institutions of government and she deeply loved her country. We covered Congress together for many years when I was the congressional correspondent for the New York Times and she was at NPR and ABC for most of eight years. We would commute together, we would cover stories together and countless nights when we left the Capitol we would uh, go to our car and look up and see the illuminated Capitol Dome. And I can tell you, every single time, every single time she saw that dome, she was inspired and energized. And I think today she would be looking at some of the strengths of the American system not the weaknesses. I think she would be saying what the last weeks and months and even years for all of the ways in which the American system has been threatened, the bottom line is today as a new president is being sworn in that the system survived and that we are having a peaceful transition of power today. And we have proved the resiliency of the American system. I think she would say that the story of the last few months is not the fragility of the system, but the strength of the system. And I think she would look up at the, at, at the Capitol uh, today and tonight, knowing how uh, seriously it was ravaged by the insurrectionists just a few weeks ago and still find a way to be proud of the American system and proud of that building that she spent her life in. Steve Roberts, we appreciate your perspective. We appreciate your 
your your wise words and uh, an attempt to to channel the the, the late great Koki Roberts uh, there at the end. It's very much appreciated, Steve. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, be well, stay safe, and we'll we'll talk soon. You too, Rick. Thanks a lot. And that is all the time we have for this edition of Powerhouse Politics, our last of the Trump administration. Uh, We'll be back very soon with the next episode in the incoming, the Biden administration. Our thanks to the entire Powerhouse Politics team, Trevor Hastings, Avery Miller, Quinn Scanlon. We'll be back next time.